it's a one-stop shop once somebody's been the victim of a violent crime. So all the best of the best are housed there. This victim doesn't have to be re-victimized and traumatized over and over. They tell their story one time. Hello and welcome to Shop Talk, where we talk about what's going on in law enforcement and the Scottsdale PD. Now here are your hosts, Chief Jeff Walther and Sergeant Kevin Kwan. Hey, Kevin. Hi. How are you? Fantastic. We are on episode 15 wow. of Shop Talk already. I know. I, th- I think uh, I think in 14 and 13, maybe 12, 11 and 10, I was, I, uh, was surprised. I'm like, wow, I can't believe it's been this many episodes already. And uh, my trusty sidekick, Sergeant Kevin Kwan is here. I'm Chief Jeff Walther and excited to be with our listeners again this month. Going to have another great conversation. Uh, but before we get into that, let's... Weather's cooling down. Yeah. Thank God, finally. Halloween is right around the corner. Yep. What are you dressing up as? I haven't decided yet. We usually do a uh, kind of a family theme yeah. because of the five of us. You're going to dress up as a golfer and do a hole in one. Oh, not again. Oh, you know. Can't, can't. do that one. <laughs> can't help it. We're getting close to that as well. Yeah. Super right? getting, season, getting, right? getting close to our uh, our super event season. So exciting. I'm glad the weather's uh, cooling down a little bit. Uh, you know, people are going to open up their windows. Make sure it's, if you're going to open up, open up your windows, be safe about it. Uh, we had a, uh, hate to be a you know, downer, Debbie Downer on this, but we had a recent stranger sexual assault. Um, related to an Arcadia door being open and this, and because the weather is beautiful, weather is beautiful. And here in the police department, we are not victim shaming. What we are doing is we are talking about what we should be talking about security measures in the real world today. And so be careful. Uh, I'd say, keep your Arcadia doors closed and locked. If you're going to open up a window, uh, I always prefer it to be an upper floor window, if at all possible to allow some of that cool air to come in. But uh, the weather is beautiful it's gonna, yeah. and it's only going to get better. Over the next uh, several weeks, now that we're in mid or toward the end of October, so excited about that. Uh, let's also talk about uh, since it's Halloween. I get a lot of questions about Halloween safety. Yeah, right. Be visible. Take care of the littles. Make sure that we're uh, we're you know ca- catching them before they get into the street. The one question I get a lot is about candy. Mm-hmm. All the time, and uh, you know how you know. So especially right now, you've seen a number of news stories related to fentanyl and colored fentanyl, yep. rainbow colored fentanyl. And does it look like somebody said, I think it looks like Skittles. No, Skittles has the hard candy shell on the outside. But I see, you could see how a kid would pick that up and say, it's a Smarty. Yep, exactly. You know, sweet tart, something like that. So um, we always use the rule <clears throat> if it's not wrapped, don't eat it. Right. And the fentanyl would not be wrapped, right? Exactly. And that's actually the, what I talk about uh, with my kids is, yeah, with and my grandkids is, yeah, if it's wrapped, it's not open, it's not cut, it doesn't appear to have been open, I think you're going to be pretty safe um, with, with wrapped candy. And I, people are like, well, what about, you know, I remember two decades ago, I heard about somebody put a razor blade in a Snickers bar. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Two years. I think that happened. I think that was like four decades ago. (laughs) I think that happened. I think that happened one time somewhere. um, But the incidents of of people really sabotaging your candy are are pretty rare. Now, if uh, Mrs. Kravitz next door gives you an apple, maybe you don't eat that. Candy safety, costume safety, window safety, window safety, which is which I call prevention. Yes. Not shaming. Uh, Absolutely. That's prevention of sexual assault. Yep. Good, good stuff. We talk a lot about our crime prevention officers that will go out and, and have assessments, right? Talk about yes. um, your foliage is too high or yeah. you put a light here because it's that, that physical deterrent. Um, when you're, when you're trick or treating too, it's, it's have multiple flashlights with you. Yeah. Like yeah. rely on that, like extra lights because cars come yeah. down the streets that they normally don't see a bunch of people walking with dark costumes. Um, the visibility is terrible. So the whole concept that relates to your house still relates to you in the dark. Yes. Walking. Yes. You know, it's interesting. You talk about foliage and things like that, or, or uh, Jessica, you talked about windows and windows open prevention. You know, when I came on uh, the police department 28 years ago, uh, we talked a lot about SEPTED crime prevention through environmental design, mm-hmm. right? That was a big push back mm-hmm. then and, and windows and windows open or closed, or if you're going to allow some, 
some of the night, cool night air in, great open your window about half, right. and then put a wooden dowel right. in to, pre- to prevent that window from opening all the way. Uh, you could even do that with your Arcadia door. Open it, you know, six, eight inches, put a wooden dowel in it to prevent it from opening any further. Um, it's just, that's crime prevention through environmental design. Foliage, trimming your trees back, making sure that you have lights, um, making sure that you're not a victim on the, on the streets. Um, walking in well-lit areas, locking right. your car, not putting things on the seat. That it, so, yeah, we do a lot. Of, we do a lot of talking about that. I think even with Halloween, like I, I think it's uh, dangerous to pretend that we don't live in the world we live in. And agreed. And so we have to do things like close our windows. And I wish we lived in a world where I could leave all my windows open. And I wish we lived in a world where I could go grocery shopping at night. Yeah. But we don't. We don't. And so um, again, I don't think that's victim shaming i think that's prevention and unfortunately the way we have to live and 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 same with halloween and trick-or-treating with your babies i wish we didn't live in a world where i had to watch every man and see if he was by himself and and i think that's the the key look for just like every other day what's weird you know a man trick-or-treating by himself is not normal right and so um, keep an eye out for that. What's and, out of place? Here. Right. Yeah. And so I think on Halloween, you just do what you do mm-hmm. every other time. And uh, unfortunately, that is the world we live in. It's interesting, Jessica, that we talk, I talked about this message. We did a big active shooter scenario at Cocoa Pop Middle School a few weeks ago. Yep. And I was talking to all of our actors who were parents and teachers and administrators at Scottsdale Unified School District. And one of the things that I shared with them is I, I opened up with, I'm sorry that you're here. Yeah. I'm sorry that we have to do this, but we have to. This yeah. is the world we live in today. And I, I don't know. I, I think I got some odd looks when I said, and I know even the scenario and, and participating and acting in the scenario where there was fake blood and shots fired and all of this and kids down can be traumatic in and of itself. Sure. But get over it. Yeah. We we have to we have to work through this together, and so you bring up, I think some some great points. One last thing before we get into talking about Winged Hope and all the great work that you do is um, between now and our next episode, the midterm elections will also be yes. Here. So um, just want everybody uh, remind everybody get out and do your civic duty, vote, do great things, but let's treat each other with dignity and respect at the polls, uh, around the polls. Uh, have some concern about um, our, our polls, our poll, the safety of our poll workers. We seem to be, uh, and we've talked about this in past episodes, we seem to be incredibly, incredibly divided. There are a lot of reasons for that. I'm not going to get into the politics of that. This is not a political show, and I'm not a political candidate. I'm your police chief. I'm an apolitical um, in my role as a police chief. Uh, I'm most interested in safety. As you exercise your civic duty uh, to to vote, uh, let's just treat each other with dignity and respect. Um, if we all followed that principle, I think we'd uh, we'd get along a lot better, and right. we'd we have a, we'd have a lot less crime in Scottsdale, a lot less crime in the valley, the state, and the country. Thanks, Chief. We're all looking forward to Halloween and dressing up this year. Did you ever go trick or treating dressed as a police officer? Well, guess what? This is no trick. Applications for police officers are open now for new and lateral positions. Visit scottsdalepd.com to learn all about joining our family. You've already heard a little bit from our guest today. She's a passionate advocate for child abuse prevention, awareness, and treatment. A survivor herself, she founded Winged Hope Family Advocacy Foundation in January of 2013. Dedicated to serving victims of family violence and trauma since its inception, Winged Hope has provided direct services or training to over 55,000 people around the state of Arizona and is the recipient of the Arizona Attorney General's 2018 Arizona Crime Victims' Rights Week Award for their work with victims of violence. For 26 years, audiences in schools, conferences, law enforcement, and more have been inspired by her journey of resiliency and hope. She shared her goal of impacting survivors of family violence and trauma worldwide. Please welcome to Shop Talk, Jessica Nicely. And welcome, Jessica. Thank you. Uh, we're excited to have you. And uh, we're going to get into a lot of, I think, a lot of good discussions about you, your background, Winged Hope, uh, what you do, who, the, the, the demographic and the people that you serve so well. So welcome. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thanks. Wow. There's a lot to tell. Um, I've been doing what I've been doing for as long as you have. So, um, but I, um, I'm a survivor of 
of child abuse and witnessing domestic violence. And uh, I often say that I feel like I came out of it relatively healthy. Um, I do a lot of training on adverse childhood experiences. And if you're familiar with ACEs, uh, I'm a 9 out of 10. And so statistically, I should be, you know, drug addict. um, Curled up in a fetal position somewhere. Correct, yeah. And and I'm not. And so I really have just felt like it's my responsibility, having survived all that I did Mm -hmm. relatively healthy, to help others survive it. And so, um, and I've been fortunate that I have a husband who works hard. And so um, I've been able to do everything voluntarily for 26 years. Um, And I'm proud to say that Wingtope has no paid employees. And we were told at the beginning that's not sustainable. And I'm proud to say that we've done it for 10 years and we're going into our 11th year with no paid employees so that every donation we get goes right back to serving victims. Which is totally unheard of. I mean, just it's... I love when people tell you you can't do something, and then more than a decade later, you're like, I'm still doing it. Yeah, it's pretty great. And and I appreciate that not everybody's able to do that, and I'm very grateful that I'm able to do that and in that position. But as long as I'm able to do it, I will always do it because it's the right thing to do. Well, kudos to you. I think today, especially in today's world, where we have, I think, a lot of intersectionality between victimhood, I'm a victim of this or I'm a victim of that. And that seems to be <clears throat> the almost a rallying cry today of yeah. I'm, a, I'm, I'm a victim of and then check this box, right? Right. And then it's, it's often used as a reason why I can't do something or why I should be given extra or special privilege because of this, this, and this. And, and y- so you bring so many, and we've met before and we've met at our Family Advocacy Center. We've had conversation and um, you just are that, I, almost that poster child, literally of somebody who has gone through a, a extreme trauma in their life and rises above it and then uses that trauma as a springboard to a life's mission and a life passion. And it's so awesome. And that's what, you know, I look at so many who, who, who've been in an unfortunate circumstance of victimization i'll use i'll use my own and share just my own so you know i'm the uh, uh was, i'm the adult child of an alcoholic an extreme alcoholic um in, in uh growing up my i used to joke around with my dad that uh when he had um i was 34 years old he had 17 years of sobriety and i said hey dad you've been you've been sober exactly half my life the wrong half <laughs> but yep. at least it was it was half and so yeah you know, all of us go through some level of trauma and to see how you've risen above that, not only how you've risen above that, but you've created a whole, you know, uh, helping mechanism. You've, you've, you've created something that has benefited thousands of people and uh, that's taking that victim um, experience and turning into something wonderfully positive. And so anyway, I just think, Thanks. I think it's amazing. Thank you. Um, my daddy was also an alcoholic, and that's actually where a lot of my healing started. And I think that's part of why I'm healthy. I started healing while I was living in it. So mm. I went to Children of Alcoholic Groups in yeah. high school. Yeah, I didn't know great. that. Um, and then got, went home to him. So, um, so yeah, I can appreciate that. And I think really the way that I always looked at it was I think you can deal with your past and you can deal with your traumas without dwelling on yeah, them yeah, and agreed. and so i think that's where people get stuck and, and and i again doesn't mean you don't heal from it you don't you know work through your mm-hmm. trauma but that can't be everything and i get that it feels like it needs to be and again i walk with victims every day yeah and and when you're in the hurricane and the storm of it it feels like you're never going to think about anything else but it's a lot like grief um you know at first it feels like you're never going to get over your grief and you're yeah. always going to feel sad. And, and then you go to the grocery store and you start to do normal things. Yeah. And it's, it's very similar trauma and healing from it. Like you have to keep doing those other things. You have to keep moving forward or else you won't heal. And, and it's an ongoing process. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, as, as an adult survivor of a child alcoholic, like there, there are things I'm sure that might still trigger you sometimes. But again, you can think about it yeah. for a minute and then you just don't dwell on it. Well, you were far smarter than I was because as a, <laughs> I just avoided them. You know, when I was a teenager, while you were going to, you know, uh, getting some some great assistance, uh, I just I just avoided the whole thing. And I like to say, I <laughs> kind of joke around, almost the Bruce Willis, you know, bad bad cop thing. I just tried to bury that yeah. down until until 
Till you much couldn't. much later on in life, yeah. when uh, when I was a young cop, and my wife said, you know. I think you need to go use some of your 12 free sessions, which is yeah. a, a line we used to use back, mm-hmm. back in the, in the nineties about, uh, psychological services that the, that the city and the PD offers. She's like, you know, time for you to go use some of your 12 free sessions because, um, there's Good something wrong with you more than just the normal everyday wrong that she loves. And so, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. use some of those, so many of those 12 yeah. free sessions and had a V8 moment and said, Oh, yeah, I'm, I now know why. But that's good. Yeah, see? And I that, had a V8 moment. <laughs> yeah. And that is and that is what, what healing is. I mean, like, it's it's understanding yeah. that it affects you in different ways that you don't even realize it's affecting you. I do think, too, again, I really, really try to see the glass half full. And I feel like that's how you can become a healthy survivor. Yeah. So I, I know that lots of people, like, I've read things like, stop shaming me for being sad. And it's like, no, no, that's not what we're doing. Yeah. Just, I know that I know from personal experience and from having walked with literally thousands of victims that if you do focus on what's good and you do focus on what's right, you will be healthier in the yeah, long run. It, it is better for you. I mean, just physically there's science that shows that if totally. you're sad and depressed, it just doesn't <laughs> work. So focusing on what's good and as survivors of, uh, and children of alco- adult children, of alcoholics, um, we learned some good skills too. Like, it's funny that you're a police officer and like what I do and I'm, I'm able to really read people. Like we can read people like yeah. nobody else. Yeah. Like Agreed. everyone's always like, you should be a profiler. Like I can walk in and read somebody immediately because yep. we had to do that. Uh-huh. And so again, while growing up, that was a negative. It's turned into a real positive. Yeah. Like we can walk in, I can read somebody immediately yeah. because we had to. 100%. We had to immediately read him yes. to see like, should I say something yes. out loud? Yes. Like, should I laugh at that joke? <laughs> no. Like, yeah. Should I even be in the room right yeah. now? And that is so true <laughs> because we would, we would wait to see, okay, he came is, is, is he's been out. Okay. Right. How, how hammered is he? Right. And, or can we have a conversation? It's family dinner and he's been tying one on. Maybe I don't make this joke. That's but, right. And you learn so spot on. Right. You learn to read him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, I was fortunate in that he was a he was a mostly a happy go lucky guy, oh, good. but disappeared, mm-hmm. gone all the time. Um, had a pretty extreme temper, mm-hmm. and uh, you couldn't you know you you were you were trying to dodge. It was a heavy smoker trying to dodge mm-hmm. the cherry on the end of the cigarette, and as he's yelling at you, and that cigarette is bouncing up and down in front of your face. I'm like, oh boy, this yeah. is gonna go south here real quick. Yeah. So, um, I will say kudos to my wife, uh, way back then for saying, uh, something's wrong here because just getting that help that I needed, talking that out, figuring those things out made me a better husband, a better father, a better human being. And I would not be the chief of police today had I not gone through that. Cause it made me a better leader and gave me greater understanding of other people around me, including those that I was dealing with on the street. So That's shout right. out to her. That's right. And shout out to my friend, Susan, because you say that I'm smart and it it wasn't me. It was actually her. Mm. Um, She was my best friend growing up and um, her home was my sanctuary. Like I could actually spend the night and I'm sure you had that too, like a safe place to be where there was no one screaming. My daddy was an angry drunk. He was not. He was always angry. He was angry sober. Um, And so um, being in a home that was just safe and happy and like we didn't have family dinners. That wasn't a thing. Um, but at her house we did and, um, just the normalcy that they provided me with. And she was the one who knew everything that was going on. And one day she said to me, Jess, this problem is bigger than me. Mm. We got to find somebody that can help you. And so good for her. Yeah. So it was actually at a family dinner, um, family dinner. This is what my family dinners looked like. And like, we really didn't have a lot. This time my sister had already gone to college and, um, we're sitting at the table me, my stepmom, and my daddy, and again, he was drunk 24-7, and he was also an insomniac, so he literally just drank all the time, and he was a full-time alcoholic for the last 10 years I lived with him. He didn't have a job. He just literally drank all day, Um, and so we're at the dinner table, and I had like a wrap shirt on, and he reaches over and just rips my shirt open at dinner, and, you know, I'm like, "What what are you doing? And he said, 
Well, um, Chris, that's my stepmom. Chris thought I was mad at her, and I just thought I should have you be mad at me instead. What? Yeah, and no, there's no logic to what yeah. he does. So then I called Susan that night and was like, I can't do this okay. anymore. Yeah. And um, she said, okay, let's find someone. So that next morning, um, I went and saw Patty Doyle, the school counselor, and she connected me with the groups. And wow. yeah, mandatory reporting had just become a thing yeah. then. And to be honest, I'm grateful she didn't report it because I, I, I didn't. I was old enough that I, I wasn't ready to go into foster yeah, care and yeah, be with yeah. a new family that could have been worse. Um, and uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it started my healing and I started to talk through things. And she actually was the one we talked a little bit before about my daddy killing himself eventually. And she had said to me, "Prepare yourself for the day he succeeds in killing himself." Yeah, yeah. And I remember at the time thinking that was kind of mean. I was like, oh, but it saved me. Right, because he had tried a couple times before. Many times, yeah. And then, yeah, it was 10 years after my time with her that he succeeded, but I had done what she said and kind of prepared myself that that was coming and what that would look like and feel like. And it is different when someone dies and you've had a strained relationship, right? It's not not the same kind of grief. And then suicide also just brings a whole other level of, you know, shame. And yeah, so... So again, I, I just wanted to give kudos to the people in my life and the lights in yeah. my life that directed That's me that wonderful. way because it wasn't wasn't all me. I will give kudos to my dad. Uh, he's not with us anymore, but uh, he died in 2020. But he ultimately recognized after we were kicking him out and said, okay, I have a problem. And then uh, and I got sober and then that completely turned his life around. He became a com- a just a completely different person. Yeah. So uh, My daddy was sober for about... On and off for like two years, and he was a complete, like you said, different human being. He was funny, like he was just a different person. Like we actually, literally, I say, uh, talk about laughing because we actually weren't allowed to laugh in my house. Like if you mm. laughed, you got, and like I can still remember a time I laughed and I got hit for laughing. I remember a time I was too happy about a Christmas oh my present. Gosh. Like, so is there such a thing as being too happy? Right, so it's like ha- too much money. Yeah. So I had to monitor like my level of, uh, of joy and, um, he was different, like the kind of guy he was, you know, my whole life. And then yeah. when he tried to be sober, it didn't really didn't work. work mm. Um, but he tried and, and I got to see glimpses of who uh-huh. he could have been. been. And it was nice to have that because yeah. I, I don't have good memories of childhood. I don't yeah. get to look back, but um, and I was already gone. I was out of the house by the time he tried to get sober. But um, it, it was nice to have that. So I'm glad you got so many years of that. Yeah, he uh, he got sober in 1987 wow. when I was 17. And uh, he was sober up until the day he died in 2020 at 78. Wow. So That's amazing. Yeah, so good for your dad. Yeah, we, I think we were able to work through some some issues over that time period that I, I think helped us both. Yeah. And I think that's a healing thing too. And I think again, something that I was able to do that, that I would encourage people to do if you can, I um, was really honest with my daddy mm-hmm. um, before he died and um, was able to say to him, like, I love you. and I'll always love you. Cause yeah. he stayed. My real mom left when I was eight months old and he raised us and tried. Right. You no, know, not, not, not succeeding very often, <laughs> but he tried, right? And he stayed. And um, But I said, you know, I, I don't like you, and, and here's why. And I started to talk through some of the things that he had done, like that incident at the table. Yeah. He didn't remember any of them because mm. he was a blackout drunk too. Yeah. So um, he didn't remember any of them. And he was devastated, and he was sad, and he was remorseful, and he apologized. And I think that helped in my being able to forgive him. But he was alive when I was Miss Arizona and traveling the state talking about yeah, we hadn't being even a survivor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he was alive. But he, but I, we got to have conversations and he understood like, because he, English was his second language. He okay. was Iranian. And so he would say like, so you're going to tell everybody I'm a bad dad. And I got to tell him, no, that's not, that's not that's at all what it is. Yeah. yeah. It's to, to share with everybody that there's hope and mm-hmm. that it doesn't last, especially for the children, that it doesn't last forever. Um, and that, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel and, and just to be positive about it. And so he, you know, he was happy about it. Like he encouraged me. He came to Miss USA and when he died, I found, I had um, sent him like articles when I was in the newspaper and he had all of them Mm. in a box. So, um, and I share that because some of his family is still angry with me 26 years later. Why? Yeah. 
Uh, they don't, you know, this happens a lot. We see this a lot with sexual assault too. Um, they don't want to believe that this guy was a bad guy mm. and they don't want to believe that he could possibly do those things. And my daddy did try some sexual stuff at the very, very end. And again, didn't remember any of it. Wow. It started with that shirt ripping. Yep. Um, cause again, what dad would do that with right. his daughter. Right. Um, but they just, some of his family members still really struggle. And they'll still make little comments at the end of my social media posts like, what are you talking about? He was a great dad. Uh, you know, and it's, I'm sad for them that yeah. they haven't healed in all this time and haven't been able to wrap their brains around the fact that, that this is what it is. And, and I think it's important because this is why I think bad guys get off so often. This is why, uh -huh. you know, it gets all the way to court and then a jury decides, oh, no, he's a really great right. guy, you know. And, and my daddy wasn't. My daddy really was angry all the yeah. time. Like, yeah. There was no front for him. Like people were afraid to come to our house because he'd chase you down the street with a gun. Like that was real because <sighs> that happened. And so um, so it, even with him, people struggle to believe like, no, he couldn't have done those things. Mm -hmm. So when they are that really great guy, um, yeah, everybody struggles to believe because, yeah, it is it is hard to believe that. And nobody wants to think that's a real thing right. and that people do these awful things, but they do. And I struggle with people. You see it all the time. Yeah. I struggle with people who from the outside looking in say, oh, my neighbor before they do a ma after they do a mass shooting or they, yeah. they they have people buried in their basement. Oh, no, no. I'm their neighbor. They were a great guy. They right. really helped me yeah. with my yard work. Or, no, that's my son, daughter, you know, uh, son and all, whatever. And they were a wonderful person. Unless you lived in that household, you've yeah. got no idea that's right. what they're like. That's right. And especially, I think, with sexual assault, because we were talking about that at the beginning, um, that's sort of their MO. They have to be a really great guy yeah. to be able to get in. To it's be a facade. Able, right? To yeah. be able to groom you as parents yep. and to be able to groom yep. your children. like. So whenever I hear someone say someone's a really great guy, and maybe this makes me jaded, but like that's a red flag to me now. Whenever someone's like, he's a really great guy, I'm like, oh, I'll be the hey, judge of that. Chief, <laughs> we're going to go do Chief Walter's podcast. But he's a really great guy. Oh, boy. We better take a look at this one. I'm yeah. going to read him as So let's talk about Winged Hope. Or let's have you talk about Winged Hope yeah. and all the great stuff you do, um, and Winged Hope with family yeah. advocacy centers and and uh, the and, and the great and kind of that connectivity. Then segue into that and that connectivity you have with Scottsdale and Scottsdale PD, if you yeah. would. So um, I started Winged Hope actually um, after serving eight years. I was a volunteer on a foster care review board, and we had a case that came in. Um, Dad had sexually assaulted his daughter, who. Um, for years and years, it came out. The FBI was even involved. Like, it was a big case. Mm. And um, he had said and was caught on tape saying that his plan was to next sexually assault his other daughter, who was um, intellectually disabled. Oh. And okay. somehow this guy is sitting across the table from me at this foster care review board and trying to convince us that he should have, you know, visits with his children, rights to his children. Wow. And so at that time, I had been doing this for a long mm -hmm. time and knew some people, and I... I um, made some calls and was like, what's happening? Like, how is this guy even out? Like, how is he not in jail? How is he sitting across the table from me? Like, how does he have rights when, like, he's been caught on camera? Yeah. And I said, what do we need to do? And so I made some calls and I got connected with Cindy Nanetti, who um, was a longtime prosecutor, who prosecuted some of the worst uh -huh. crimes you've ever seen in Arizona on TV. And um, she's a judge now. But I, I had a meeting with her and she said to me, we need more family advocacy centers. And at the time, I didn't even know what those were. I yeah. had done prevention for so long um, and and then immersed myself in this world. And so um, I looked into them and was like, this is an amazing concept. Why aren't there more of these? And I started Wingtope really with the goal of opening a Southeast family uh -huh, advocacy uh -huh. center. And we met for a year with chiefs and you know, had this great plan and then it ended up that everybody started making their own. Yeah. But the original goal was to build one big one and, and then to support the existing ones because I just think the concept of a family advocacy center is just so important. And yeah, for anyone agreed. who doesn't know what that is that's listening, it's essentially this is the easiest way to explain it. It's a one-stop shop once somebody's been the victim of a violent crime. So yeah. all the best of the best are housed there. Yep. This victim doesn't have to be re-victimized and yeah. traumatized over and over. They tell their story one time. 
and um, they can so, they can have a, a, an exam there. Oh as yeah, well. medical yep. exam happens mm-hmm. there. So all these things that now and pre COVID we would say like it would take weeks to get to all these different appointments and things if you didn't have an FAC. But post COVID, I would say it would take months, months. for you Absolutely. to be able to do this. Absolutely. And instead, this process is a few hours mm-hmm. long. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so that's really why I started Winged Hope because of my love for FACs and, and, and my, I just was amazed by the concept and just yeah. feel like it's, why doesn't everybody have one of these? So they're trying. Yeah. You see a lot now. They are now. They've, yeah. they've sprung up and, and, and I don't even know what the number is now in the Valley. It's, was 22, is, we have 22 around the state of Arizona. Around now. the state. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And in the Valley, it, we, in fact, we had some discussion about the numbers and the numbers keep going up. It's seven, yeah. eight, somewhere yeah. around there, some in the Valley and. And a couple new ones coming online. Yeah, right? pretty, Gilbert's pretty coming. Gilbert's coming mm-hmm. online. Yep, I, I've heard talk of Tempe. Tempe. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so now it's um, we almost have too many. Is what I've been hearing, and like they're struggling to get enough sexual right, assault that nurses. The, that and, was the discussion oh. that I was in with yeah. other chiefs in the valley of yeah. you know are, do they have enough staffing? And there's yeah. not enough staffing, especially when you when you talk about um, pediatric doctors and, yes. and so specifics. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I know we're. And the Scottsdale uh, FAC, we're doing we're doing really well yeah. in terms of our staffing. So yeah, and you guys have most of the scenes housed here, which is great. Right. And yeah, and it was such a joy to get to come and remodel. So that's one of my favorite things to do is to remodel FACs yeah. and make the space more comfortable. And and on the outside looking in, it feels like we're just making a pretty space, but really we're making a space for victims to come in and immediately. Take a deep breath yeah, and definitely. immediately calm down. And so when I would walk into like a PD, because we renovate police department interview mm-hmm. rooms too, and walk into a PD or an FAC, I would think like, okay, let's say I was taken to one of these on my worst day growing up. Like, how would this space make me feel? And some of them would have made me feel way worse. Yeah, yeah. And that's not the goal, right? Um, and also part of the goal really is to ha- ensure that they disclose because we want them to feel comfortable right. enough to disclose so that we can move forward with the process. And so the bad guy, and I say bad guy because he is a guy most mm-hmm. of the time. Most of the time. Um, the bad guy can go to jail and stay in jail. And so disclosure is a big piece of it. Yeah, it's absolutely. important. And so making sure that room is so comfortable for them and that they feel comfortable enough to disclose. So uh, it was great to do that. And and really, as a survivor, I, I didn't want to do victim services, to be honest. Like mm-hmm. direct victim services was not on my radar. So much so that the first year that we provided direct victim services, I didn't even track it because I was like, oh, no, this isn't what we do. But people kept reaching out <laughs> to us and I was like, like no, this is yeah. what we do. <laughs> and yeah, now that's what we do more than anything. Wow. And we serve about 100 victims a month, mm-hmm. um, direct services. So that looks like really anything that a victim needs. And, and we fill the gap for a lot of agencies that like if there isn't funding for something or there's right. something like right in that moment they're not able to do. Like like Mesa is obviously an amazing police department. Mm-hmm. They're very well staffed and they do everything. But every once in a while, like they don't have the funds to say fly a victim home because during the process of her rape trial, her dad died back right. home, right? And then sure. flying her home to to go to that, like things like that, that don't exactly fit the crime itself and there might not be funding for, but we can help with that. Mm -hmm. And so I often tell the story because it's fall um, and during the fall, it's appropriate. We had a little girl who came from DCS. She had been sexually assaulted at home. She was unfortunately sexually assaulted in her first Uh. um, foster placement, Um, went to a safe foster placement, um, was able to disclose. And so we were helping her um, and paying for some trauma-informed therapy for her. Um, which is one of the services we offer. And, um, but I, again, as a survivor, want to do the, the little things mm-hmm. that I know bring joy. And so I said, what else would make her happy? And this little five year old girl said she wanted fall boots. And so mm-hmm. we bought her fall boots. You know, she probably saw a commercial. Yeah. And so we bought her fall boots and we helped her um, get into some good trauma informed therapy. So, yeah, so we walk with victims and do that. And then we do trainings. That's the third way we yeah. help all over the state. And, um, I share my story when I'm asked to and, and when I feel like it's right and um, and just do trainings again everywhere. I love the Adverse Childhood Experiences training because I feel like that covers all of it um, and all the different traumas that, you know, we could be addressing and, and really focus on prevention because I, I still love prevention even though we're immersed in the yeah. aftercare. Um, prevention is important. I mean, what if we could prevent all these? Like, why, yeah. why wouldn't why we wouldn't focus we? on that? Right. And unfortunately, prevention is, I think, the first place when 
funding is running dry that it gets pulled from because yeah. you can't really you don't know those stats like we right. don't know what we prevented but um we don't know what we don't know right right mm-hmm. we just don't and so but it is so important so we still we still focus on that as well well i i definitely you mentioned rfac and i appreciate that connectivity that you have with us because we've had a family advocacy center for so long that it was time for some improvements in, in that in creating a, a, a more welcoming environment, yeah. right? Things get yeah. old after a yeah. while and things yeah. get a little bit more run down. And I, might, I think it takes somebody with your eyes mm-hmm. to look at it and say, you know what? You guys are doing a pretty good job here and have had an FAC for a long time, but yeah. we can do better. We can make this uh, a more welcoming environment. We can, and it's beautiful. Okay. It's beautiful. And it's just, um, it is a welcoming environment for those who've been uh, who've been severely traumatized, and so I appreciate that. I appreciate that partnership because it just made us better. And we have great budget, and we have a lot of resources in the PD and at the Family Advocacy Center. But that partnership with yeah. Winged Hope and and several others has just made us that much better. So, yeah. and I and terrific. I get that question sometimes too um, from people, and sometimes from my own board, and sometimes from funders like. These are big cities. Like, why do you guys come in and do that? And I just feel like if you think about like what we do and the piece that we do, I was just talking with the chief of Mesa last night about this. Our part, like the family violence piece and the family trauma is just one tiny part of what you guys do. And so there's so there's only so much money. Right. And there's only so much budget. And if we can help with that tiny piece and then you guys can use that funding to actually do other things to help victims. Like, why wouldn't we do that? And so I feel like it's it's just important for people to understand. Like, and and again, part of why I don't like for my my team to be paid. Like, I think we live in this world where it's like, why doesn't someone else do that? Yeah. Or why don't they do that? Yeah, and it's somebody like, else's responsibility. Right? And I feel like that's part of why I started Winged mm-hmm. Hope because I feel like how come nobody's mm-hmm. talking about FACs? How come nobody's you know? building more, helping the FACs, what's happening. And, and, um, and so I just feel like, yeah, we all need as a community to stop that mentality of, well, well someone else will do that because a, someone else won't. Absolutely. Like, that thought process and mentality is everywhere. I talk about that in uh, sex trafficking and labor trafficking, oh, yeah. that it's people turn a blind eye to it. They, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's that, it's, it's that community. Yes. It's mm-hmm. that community dirty little secret yeah. that, Oh no! You know, is that really going? Yeah, it's yeah. going on everywhere, and and the Arizona and the Valley in particular. And I talk about Scottsdale numbers because we import 11, 12 million visitors annually. Have yeah. major events. Uh, the Super Bowl will the game will be played in Glendale, but so many of the events will be here in Scottsdale. Uh, parties and resorts. And when I talk about sex trafficking, people are like, oh, yeah. can we talk about something else? Yeah, oh, Isn't yeah. that somebody else's problem? When you talk about domestic violence and childhood trauma, it's, oh, yeah. somebody else can deal with that, yeah. right? No. I literally have people sometimes as I talk about things cover their ears. Uh, um, they literally cover their ears because they can't hear it. And it's like if, if it's hard for you to hear, mm-hmm. how hard do you think it is for these children, right. especially to be living this? And, and again – um, talking about trafficking and, and, and all that's coming to the Valley, one other thing that we do is we collaborate with other nonprofits. And uh-huh. so we're collaborating with the Arizona Anti-Trafficking Network and making sure that we're helping them. And, and again, me just as an individual, I'm going to give some time and do some of the prevention work that they're going to yeah. be doing um, before all these events come because why wouldn't I do that? Right. And, you know, and I think a lot of times, you know, with volunteering and with helping, I do think it's gotten way better um, because back when I started speaking and started doing volunteer work, like there wasn't a lot. I think it, it didn't happen as often, but now people want to volunteer, but they always want it to be fun, I think. Sure. <laughs> and they want right. a shirt or, you know, like <laughs> they um, want a challenge right? coin, right? They want something. And I feel like why, you know, I feel like service is sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And so um, you don't have to do it the way I do and sacrifice every single day. But um, but like I'm going to go and help these other nonprofits and sacrifice a Saturday because yeah. that's what service is. Service yeah. is sacrifice. And I think um, especially with you guys, the PD, you guys have, oh, it's, it's been maddening for me watching people speak unkindly of you all. Yes. And again, I shared my story like the police weren't always the best for me growing right, up, but right. but that's not how it is anymore. And that's not how every officer is. And the officers that I get to work with uh-huh. in my world sacrifice all the time. And I think people 
forget that. They don't think about like, I mean, I'm sure you've both missed a birthday, uh-huh. right? Or an Sporting anniversary, yep. right? Um, yeah, a concert or a recital. Called like, out in the middle of a family right. event. Called um, out in the middle of a sporting yeah. event. Called the, out in the middle of a, a, a day off. That's mm-hmm. right. And the sacrifices. And I think that's what service is. And I feel like people forget that and think like, well, this is their job. You yeah. know, and it's like, well, their job is constant sacrifice. And so I just feel like that's what service should be um, for everybody. And And also, again, I think that part of what happened and part of what like built up that that really negative mentality was, you know, that's your job and you're supposed uh-huh, to do that. And it's like, uh-huh. no, no. What if we all tried to make our world better? What if yeah. we all tried to prevent bad things from happening? You know, if everybody just did a little piece, what a different world we would live in. And I just wish that that could be the mentality. But we do want to give a shout out to all of you officers because Thank I know you. you guys sacrifice all the time. And I know what that feels like because I do it too. Uh-huh. And it's, you know, it's hard to sacrifice all the time. And yeah, we don't get a pink shirt or, a, you know, some fluffy, you know, prize for doing it. And I think everybody wants to do that and show it on social media and be like, look what I did. And uh, and, and when you serve and you help Wing Tope, you're not always <laughs> going to be on social media. Usually you're not. If, if you're, you know, helping us in the role with a victim... You're never gonna get seen on social. Yep. Media. We're yeah. never gonna talk yeah. about it because no one's ever gonna know who not that person was. Not get seen on social media. Right? Not get a mug. <laughs> no. Not get a. Well, why do I? Yeah. Right? They think, why do I even want to go to that? <laughs> right. And, oh. And and that's what I want. I wish we could change. <laughs> I want to change that. I want people to know, like, again, and I think really part of why I am healthy as a survivor is because I have spent 26 years of I spent my entire adult life serving other people and helping other people. And I feel like that is part of what's helped me be healthy. And and it's healing for me selfishly every time I do something. And I wish people could know (laughs) what it does for you. Yes, you're going to, you're going to miss a Saturday of sitting around the house, but, but what you're going to get back is immeasurable. I'm going to bring that jaded person out of you here right now. (laughs) Kevin, where's my soapbox? I gotta get. I gotta get up on it. It's pretty tall. Oh, here, here we go. You're so right. And pe- people don't want to know. Most people and, and the the numbers sadly are growing in this country and in the world. And there's we could talk a lot about social media and the narcissism of social media, but the va- I've I've now found, uh, and and I welcome your comments if you disagree. Uh, I've now found that the vast majority of people uh, who don't want to participate, it's because they choose to be willfully ignorant mm-hmm. about what's going on out there. And, and so when you talk about uh, law enforcement and the narrative on law enforcement, and we've talked about it many times on this show, um, there's a narrative that is it is supported by the willfully ignorant about what police officers do in this country and how they are the very foundational component and the backbone of this society and that without the police and this idea of defund or shrink the police, fortunately, which has gotten zero traction in the state of Arizona, um, when you defund the police, you make them smaller, you, 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 take, you, you remove that fabric of our society, chaos yeah. will reign. Chaos will reign. And for those people who say, no, 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 if we got rid of police, we would all come together lovingly in this wonderful utopia. And I say, what planet are you living on? Because that's not that that's not where we're living right now. So it's the same for you. It's the well. If, if I'm gonna be if I'm gonna be on social media, can I take a selfie? Am I gonna get a mug or a thermos or what? What challenge yeah. coin yeah. T-shirt? Yeah, I I, I barely reason. feed my um, my volunteers lunch. <laughs> yeah, actually, when we came and we did your project. Um, you guys gave us pizza, which was nice because, yeah, I'm like, lunch, what, we don't have time for lunch. Uh, we're working. Yeah, like this is, you know, a week of your life. Sacrifice. Give your yeah. time and, yeah, eat dinner when you go home. But, yeah, you guys gave uh, gave my volunteers lunch. Good, which I'm, glad. I'm, glad, I'm glad we fed you. <laughs> yeah, they appreciated it. One of the things that, like, in your organization that, that you see, uh, you know, talking about your the mugs and all that stuff is we – 
we don't want accolades, right? We, we yeah. get the gratification when we see right. that the, the victim has gotten a little bit of closure, you know? And I know that's oh, so yeah. much with your guys' organization is walking with them steps, going through the court process, watching the healing process. Like, <laughs> that's why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. But, but just knowing, like, how much we try to show the public the, the little things that we're doing, it's exponentially higher oh, yeah. that we're, we're giving back to the community, yeah. you yeah. know? Yeah. Because we can't show all the right. things. And and I wouldn't even have social media if I didn't have Wingtope. But I have to be able to show what we do so that you we can continue both. to get funding, yeah. right? Yep. But the things that are like the most beautiful moments I get to experience, I'll never get to share. Right. Um, I was, I'll share this because <clears throat> you won't know who she is. But I was invited to um, go to the baby shower of a rape victim, mm. a young girl um, who got impregnated mm. by her rapist. And she's decided to keep the baby and she's moving forward as positively as she right. can with support. And they had a, a gender reveal party. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the emotions and, and yeah. like all the feelings behind yeah. that. But I got invited to that. That's You'll so never cool. see that on social no. media, right? No. You'll never. See, but like it was one of the most beautiful moments I've ever gotten to experience. And it was so special that she asked me to be there. Yeah. And yeah, I mean. So many of the moments that are the real moments that like that are why we do what we do. Yeah. Yeah. No one ever gets to see or hear about because we we can't and uh, and we wouldn't want to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I I long for the world to be a better place uh, on a lot of levels. But yeah. <laughs> but I think just that tiny little change in people, yeah. like if you could just do the right thing because it's the right mm-hmm. thing. One and, person at a yeah, time. Yeah. And again, like talking about defending the police and like when that was going on, I was like, they're like, there are all these NGOs can come in and help. I was like, that's me. That's, yeah. I'm not running in. <laughs> I'm not running in when this guy is holding a gun to her head. I'm not doing that. Yeah. yeah like, cause guess what? I done that. I lived that life yeah. my whole childhood. It doesn't work out well. So yeah, when everyone's like, oh, we'll get them to do it. No. So again, it was that mentality of like someone else will do it. I mean, we have to stop that. Like we need more people to, to, to sacrifice because that's what really caring for people is. It's sacrificing. So help me and help our listeners understand um, kind of the process and when, when and where and in what capacity winged hope gets involved. Say, you know, the PD were involved in a case, be it domestic violence, uh, sexual assault, uh, and and we've now we they've been to the FAC they've been interviewed they've had the sane exam um, all of that is done and now we're doing our jobs we're prosecuting we're going after bad people uh, and our police crisis intervention has been at least in the, and so now where does Winged Hope come in in, in the services services that uh, that you offer so then at that point it's really just family by family right what does this family need and right. so. Um, very often with children, we can help provide some trauma-informed therapy. So if it's a child, and again, there are therapists out there, and I know that some organizations provide some therapy. Mm-hmm. That's usually a set number of sessions. Um, and I, like even with DCS, sometimes we get cases from DCS, they provide therapy, but there's a lot of turnover. Mm-hmm. It's not very consistent. Um, so we provide, um, we have about 20 different trauma-informed therapy groups around the valley that we outsource to um, that I'm um, I, I selected myself because I always want to be able to say that it's someone I would send my own children right. to. And if I wouldn't, I would never send someone else's children mm. there. And so um, we do that. We And then we will pay for some sessions of trauma-informed therapy for children. Um, we come in and help the parents. So I love books. Again, growing up, I didn't have a, a lot of guidance. And so I learned a lot of things from books. And so um, we have these wonderful books that we will give. Um, so we'll give books to the parents, for example, of a child sexual assault survivor, the non-offending parent, um, and make sure that they have a book. Like there's a wonderful book about the process that, that goes on and what happens when your child discloses sexual assault. I mm-hmm. actually think that's the title of the book, um, what to do when your child discloses sexual assault. And it walks them through what the process looks like. And, um, and then I have another book that I give that just kind of Give scenarios of possible questions that children might ask or behaviors that might come up and gives parents tools to be able to walk with them through that. And then we're just there as advocates ourselves um, to listen, because I think a lot of times that's really what it is. Uh Um, Again, when we talk about hard things, a lot of times the general public literally covers their ears. Well, these families have now been immersed in this really hard, 
awful, ugly thing that nobody wants to talk about with them. Nobody wants to hear it. And so we are there to talk about it with them, to hear it, and to walk through it with them because without ever covering our ears, without ever wincing when they say something because um, we know that that's what they Mm -hmm. need. Mm -hmm. And so just sometimes just walking through it with them is, is the piece that really helps the most. And and again, what I love too, and one thing I'll never change about Wingtope, and we don't get a lot of funding because we don't do as much tracking as everybody right. else. Um, I don't ever make anybody fill out paperwork. And they come to us, and I have had people literally just start weeping when they're like, okay, what do I need to mm. do? And when I say nothing, nothing, they weep because it's such a long process, yeah. right? Yeah. And and I mean, and agencies like you, like, you have to do paperwork, you have to track things, but mm-hmm. like we don't. And so... I will never do that. And I know we lose out on grants and things like that. But I, you know, for me, it doesn't matter what their income is. It doesn't matter what their ethnicity is. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter where they can. Like, I just, we're here to help them. We're here to walk through the process with them. Um, no questions asked. And so it really looks like whatever they need it yeah. to look like. Okay. Um, and I think, too, what makes us different is that we're helping the whole family heal. Mm-hmm. So very often, you know, when they come to an agency, like, you can help the victim and you have funds for the victim, but you can't necessarily help the sister, right? right? Like I think of a case where we had a, a little boy who was being sexually assaulted by their neighbor. The sister walked in. Um, we were able to provide therapy for the sister and the little boy yeah. because that sister, the trauma she now has, that was her yep. friend, by the way, who was sexually assaulting her little brother. Um, the trauma that she has and that she needs to process. And so what makes Wingtope different is that we really wrap our arms around the whole family um, because we know for just healing a piece of the family, just the victim, um, you know, there's yeah. there's trauma for everyone. And so we really try to address that for the whole family. That's terrific. So you talked about grants and, and, and things like that that you may or may not get because you don't, you know, the paperwork and the, the colossal um, yeah. red tape and all of that. I so, call it nonsense. Yeah, <laughs> it's your typical... Yeah. We don't do nonsense. Right, it's your typical red tape nonsense that so how can the public support winged hope um so we do i mean we have a lot of fundraisers that we do one of the biggest things that we ask for because we found that um people like to give an actual thing like people love to give us toys which we don't really need but like everybody (laughs) and again it's like the serving thing like if you get a mug right like they want to give what they want to give and it's like well i don't need a teddy bear yeah um but what i found one of the things that we've asked for that has worked really well because they can give something tangible is gift cards so that works really well because at first when we started wingtope we had like diapers and formula and all this stuff that we never really knew what we were giving to who or who was going to need what. So what we found is gift cards work really, really well. Um, and so gift cards to Walmart where they could get groceries if they needed and other things that they need. Um, we serve a, a lot of FSCs that also serve a, a high uh, Native American mm-hmm. population. Mm-hmm. And so, like, um, again, we don't know what they're going to need. We don't know yeah. what they're going to have access to. And so I was just talking with one of the FACs, um down south and and we were saying look, a walmart gift card is is a life changer yeah. for some of them yeah. sometimes and you know we'll provide dinner for a week or whatever they need so we ask for gift cards a lot okay. and so we have a lot of people that will do gift card drives for us and then um again in our service to facs one of the biggest things for me has always been underwear i always want to make yeah. sure all yeah. the facs have underwear and I always share why that is. And again, mm-hmm. that's one of those sometimes people, people cover cringe. their ears. Yep. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But people need to hear that when you come to the FAC and you have a medical exam mm-hmm. and if there is evidence on that underwear, that underwear goes into an evidence yep. bag. The moment that I decided that underwear needed to be our priority, I was at an FAC and there was a little uh, evidence bag and there was Hello Kitty underwear in the evidence bag and it broke my oh, yeah. heart. Absolutely. And I was like, God, if they didn't have that baby's size underwear, then she's leaving with no underwear yeah. or the wrong size. And yeah. after already suffering the trauma that they've suffered, yep. I want them to leave with the right size underwear. Mm-hmm. So we do underwear drives all the time to make sure all the FACs have underwear, bras, you know, pants, yeah. you know, because again, your clothes are likely going to go into an yeah. evidence bag. So um, those are the things that we ask for that I feel like the community can give that's not money because not everybody has money to yeah. give. And, yeah. But we can use those things. We have um, an Amazon wish list that has a lot of our books okay. that we give out a lot. 
Um, and again, like with domestic violence cases, there are two books I give every single domestic violence victim we have. One is called Why Does He Do That? And it walks them through kind of why they might have fallen into this relationship. Mm-hmm. Again, not victim shaming, but educating right. and prevention for next time. And then we have one called When Dad Hurts Mom. Because a lot of times we find that DV victims stay for their children. Yep. That yellow book I give them shows them that staying is the worst thing mm-hmm. you can do for that baby. Um, and I share with them the statistics that witnessing domestic violence is the single greatest predictor of juvenile delinquency mm-hmm. and adult criminality. Yeah. And share with them the lifelong trauma that's going to happen if they stay. And they're often staying for them, they think. And that yellow book I give them shows them like the lifelong damage that's going to happen to their babies if they stay. So um, books are huge for me too. But One of the things I like and one of the reasons we, we wanted to have you on as a guest is we don't shy away from difficult topics. Yeah. We've talk, we like talk that. about a lot, of, a lot of cool things, but a lot of things that are like uh, cringeworthy yeah. or, you know, they're like wince. Uh, but we have no, to. No, we have to. We have to. to. We we pull no punches here. Now that's a wrap with the serious questions. But before we jump into today's four reels questions, if you or someone you know could benefit from Jessica's foundation, or if you'd like to make a donation, please visit wingedhope.org. That's wingedhope, W-I-N-G-E-D-H-O-P-E.org. All right, so this is our section that we call we call four reels. Um, just kind of kind of give anything that pops into your head with the questions. They're not overly difficult, um, but we'll we'll see what you guys got. So, our first one is: What is your favorite seat on the airplane? Aisle, absolutely aisle. No, why? Well, because I'm six one and a half, two hundred and fifteen pounds. I'm not interested in wedging myself up against the window, or worse yet, the middle seat with no legroom. I have long legs. Uh, the aisle is also my best avenue of escape. If I, you know, if I have to deal with somebody and, you know, mm-hmm. in the airplane. So where I also choose the aisle, okay. but see, again, I'm, I have to get serious because for me, I grew up with something called temporal lobal seizures, epilepsy, but because my daddy was drunk all the time, he never took me to the doctor. Mm. So I was undiagnosed till I was 18. And for whatever reason, and basically, it just make me kind of confused in my brain. Everything kind of turns around. I get lost a lot. And for whatever reason, on airplanes, they're really bad. And if I look out the window, it makes it worse. Yeah, really? And so then I'm lost in the airplane. And so um, I always sit on the aisle for that reason. But also what Chief said, um, when I sit on the airplane, I watch as people come yep. to see who else is going to be mm-hmm. a helper. Yep. And sadly, that number has dwindled as time has gone mm-hmm. on. Like there's like two other people maybe besides me. Yeah. And so I always like to see like, where's that other guy that I know is going to be a helper? Yep. Totally. Yeah. So that's also aisle. why your next one was where in the plane. Yep. I like the, the wing right on the wing oh. area. There's an emergency exit. I don't trust anybody else on that airplane yeah, that's right. to open up the emergency exit if we needed to. Yeah. Agreed. The, the, we, we just came back from Hawaii and watching, watching people. I, I tell my son this all the time. I told you he's six, seven, right? So we, yeah. we come in the plane and we all duck cause we can't fit. <laughs> and I said, I, the last time the five hour fly, I turned to him, I go, Hey, watch how many people try and make eye contact with you. And he's like, what? I was like, just do it. Just try and make as many eye t- contacts as you can. And yeah. he comes in, we sit in the seat and he's like, yeah, yeah, like four. <laughs> like people just avoid it. One, they yeah. don't want you to sit in this seat, whatever. But yeah. it's that that diversion of yep. don't don't look at anybody at all. It's most people want zero connectivity with other people. Yeah. yeah, it's weird. Are there any specific animals that you are afraid of, and why? I'm afraid of frogs. Really? Yeah. Uh, like I'm fine with snakes. I love all animals, but for whatever reason, frogs creep me out i think because like one minute they're here and the next minute they're on your face like (laughs) i don't like that um yeah yeah, so frogs i I spend uh, a lot of time in the back country and so i'm not afraid of them but i'm always wary of bears in the back country what what kind of bears do we have here in Arizona? In Arizona, uh, almost ex- well exclusively, we have black bears. Okay. Some will say, "No, chief, we have brown bears." No, they look brown. They may even black bears that that species of bear can have a cinnamon color or a brown looking color, but black bears are in Arizona. Oh, see, Those I, are the I'd rather have a bear than a frog. Yeah. Yeah. 
I would love to Most see bears, a bear. Uh, and honestly, the vast, vast majority of bears are more afraid of human beings yeah. than we are of them. And they're very skittish. They don't want any, any, they don't want to be anywhere near you unless you startle them. You're, you have a sow with her cubs. Yeah, right. Uh, my, my daughter, my youngest, who's 28, and her husband live in Whitefish, Montana. And the number of grizzly bears in that area, they're, they're pretty thick. So I watch uh, How to Survive an Animal Attack and shows like that a lot. So I, I'm, all, I'm all set. I know what to oh, do. Good with it. The yeah. bear spray is probably not going to work. Yeah, the bear. No, no. Bear spray works. But I know what decent. to do. I know what to do if the bear comes. And yeah, it's like all animals. Get into a ball. Cover your <laughs> yeah, face and yeah, neck. Yeah. yeah. Run faster than the person but, next to you. Yeah, yeah, but with a mountain lion, you're supposed to get big and make your arms yes. big. Yeah, so I know what to do with each animal because I I hope to come across them in the wild. Like I, I have. I, I would have, love that. I have come across. Yeah, yeah. Not a frog, but I would love to see the. Bear. Not often. The, the mountain lion is the only one I'm terrified of because oh. I was on patrol at like D shift back in the days where it was at nighttime, and I remember looking over and seeing this big big oh, cat with this tail, awesome. and I'm in my patrol car. And I literally turn to my door and I just lock it. <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I don't know what this thing's gonna he, do, but he's gonna oh, get in and eat me. He awesome. can't open your door. <laughs> he's totally, he's totally good. He doesn't have opposable thumbs. Uh, <laughs> Jixie Cat did it in Meet the Parents. So. Stop watching. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that terrified Jinxie. me. And then I watched the thing jump up like ten feet in the air. Mountain lions are actually even more skittish yes. uh, and wary of people than bears. Really? Yeah. They want no part of you unless yeah. they're unless there's something wrong with them, and then they'll eat you. Yeah. <laughs> Which one are you going to get? That's pretty, yeah. it's pretty, pretty rare. Pretty rare. <laughs> All right. So it's October and we kind of talked about this a little before the show, but what is your favorite Halloween candy? I love all candy. I actually become obsessed with certain foods for certain times and like I have to eat that like exclusively. Candy is Starburst, mm. but that's not my favorite Halloween candy. That's just my food of the moment. What, what kind of, they have like multiple. Oh, so i so, yeah, I, like, become a little obsessed. Again, like, I'm a 9 out of 10 on the Aces. I remember what I should be. So, yeah, don't judge me. But, like, I no buy I buy all the Starburst, and then I pick out the yellow. I mean, eat the yellow and the pink, and there's a new flavor called Fruit Punch that's delicious. And so I only eat those. So then in my cabinet for everyone else to enjoy are the <laughs> red and the orange. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's going to become their favorite. <laughs> yes. <then>. Yes. <laughs> I think that we'd call that OCD, right? Yeah, yeah a little, a little. I know. I have it too. <laughs> Snickers, you know the the bite sized Snickers. Oh, the tiny ones. Yeah. I was well, like, not not the full bar, but not the little squares. Oh they're, yeah, they're more like the mini. mini the they call it mini. Oh, yeah, the, yes. re, the rectangle, the rectangle yeah. ones. Snickers. Did What's you guys ever get there? Like find that house when you were trick or treating that was like. Oh, that's the king size candy 100%. bar. Hundred oh, <laughs> percent. Yeah. Every year, you yes, go to king, that one. full size <laughs> yeah. candy bar. And you know how much money that is right now? Oh yeah. So we go trick or treating every year with our grandkids, and so I'm always on the lookout. Like, hey, who's got the who's got the full size oh, Snickers yeah. bar? Do you know they so. sell them now, like in a pack of full size, like with the other bags of Halloween mm. candy? Oh really? You can be the person who buys the full size. You can bars. Be that house. Yeah. Uh, I love Halloween too. So, what is the best costume that you've ever worn? And please, please. Uh, outfit doesn't count because how many yeah. Halloweens do we have to wear? Our this uniform? is yeah. This is today. I, I would be accused of cultural appropriation, which was wrong. My my wife is uh, part Mexican, uh, Yaki Indian, Puerto Rican on her mom's side, and German Irish on oh. her dad's side, which is quite the uh, angry and aggressive combination. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry, honey. I dressed up one year in 2000 on a on a Halloween cruise. Uh, she dressed up. Uh, I dressed up as like an Indian chief, and she was dressed oh. up as a squaw, and and that was perfectly acceptable back in 2000. Yeah. Today, I'd, I'd be accused of cultural appropriation. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it was a super cool costume. Yeah. I but I also I've been Pocahontas. I was Jasmine. Jasmine was probably my best one because mm-hmm. that's kind of my culture too. Um. Yeah, so we, like, just recently I convinced my husband that to go as a couple costume, because mm-hmm, yeah. as we've grown, like, we, we're very we're complete polar opposites, he and I, and so, like, he'd want to be something, and I'd want to be something else, and we're also both very strong, so I was like, oh, I'm going to be that, and he's like, well, I'm going to be that, and so, like, yeah, so I was Jasmine with no Aladdin, oh, yeah, no. like, I think he was a baseball player that year, so, which he was, too, which he did, like, the wear your uniform thing, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so but this year we're going to be Snow White and her prince. Oh, we're matching fun. this year, which is fun for me. Yeah, no dress up for me. 
No. no. Not this year? No. I don't you're do that. You're going to be drag, carrying the wagon with the, the grandchild. Yes, that's I, I, too push, tired I push strollers. Oh. I push, wa- yeah, I drop pull wagons. Yeah. I can't wait for that. No, we, uh, growing up, my mom would create our costumes, like oh. build them. So, like, I've been a knight with this giant cardboard horse. Oh. Wow. Like, when you're, like, she made me, I was a sink. Like, she, she, like, pulled <laughs> this thing out, and I had, like, a visor where she did the whole sprout. sprout oh, my good. Spigot, spout, whatever the thing yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Spout. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I loved Halloween growing up and it always like, I'd always get picked because my mom would, oh, yeah. she's so creative and do all this stuff. So That's like even awesome. growing with the kids now, I'm like, oh, we're going to theme it up. Like whatever it is, like, I'm just going to dress it up. They're so expensive now. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. You go to Amazon, you're like, what? That's a schmuck and it's $72. Yeah. Like yeah. what's going you on? You do that? Star Wars? Uh, we've already done that one. Yeah. That's so Close. nice that you do it together. Not Star Trek though. Stop it. Your teenager will do it too. He uh, he used to do a lot of themes with us, and now he just kind of picks what. Like we were a Harry Potter family one year. We've been like, um, a, some of us will like pair off because my teenager will. I think he wants to be like a Death Eater this year, but I'm like, we've already done Harry Potter. Like you have to move on. But he went to Universal and got a new wand, so he's like, well, I want to oh. use my Death Eater wand. I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm going to be, but nothing this year. Death Eater. Oh, it's from Harry Potter. Oh, okay. so, yeah, sounds awful. It's like it's a like dementor. The, 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 yeah, yeah. Well, the Death Eaters are the oh, bad the scary guys, oh, the bad guys, guys on the uh-huh. floor. Yeah. All right. Well, that wraps it up for uh, four reels. Good, hey. good, good, uh, good question. Good questions overall. Jessica, thanks for being here. Thank you for great, having uh, me. Great conversation. You do amazing work. Uh, your organization does amazing work. And um, like I, I started out, I mean, you've taken something that was extremely traumatic and formative in your life and you've, you've turned it into such a wonderful positive for other people and so i just thank you as a community member i just thank you um as a as a fellow professional in in the service of other people uh i just thank you for for uh, for being great and, and doing some great things mm-hmm. thank you guys and thank you to everyone at scottsdale pd and all the police departments and i i hope that that is, is a shift that happens that everyone can start to appreciate how amazing you all are and I'm grateful for everything you guys do and all the sacrifices you guys make all the time. From me, thanks for listening and thanks for being here again. Uh, A lot of great things going on. It's the fall. We talked about those at the beginning. And remember, uh, every day offers each of us the opportunity to be more in the service of others. And I challenge you to do that. Look forward to uh, listening next month or talking to you next month. And we'll have another great guest. Take care and be safe, everyone. Thank you for joining us on Shop Talk episode 15. If there is something you want to know, please visit our social media pages at Scottsdale PD on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. We look forward to next month. Please join us where our guest will be Rachel Cole from Channel 12 News. And remember, be more.